Well, Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17, we're reading the story of Jesus raising a widow's son. And so if you're able to, to, if you would stand with me in honor of God as we read his word together this morning. And Jesus has healed a centurion's servant earlier in chapter 7, and then we read in verse 11, soon afterwards he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. And he came up and touched the bier, and the, the bearers stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all. And they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. You may be seated. May God encourage us through his word this morning. And Heavenly Father, we do ask for your encouragement. We pray for your strength. We pray for your grace. Lord, we thank you for this, this conference, and we thank you for the, the opportunity we've had to, to think about you and your character and continue to help us to do so this morning. We pray, as, as Tony mentioned, for those especially who are hurting or grieving who are struggling with how to respond to the circumstances of life, to to, to fruit of, of things in their life, to to the uh, arrows from others. We, we pray just for your your grace in our lives this morning as we look to your son, Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, I do hope uh, that you have been, especially those of you who had the opportunity to attend portions of the conference, I hope that you've been encouraged by the conference uh, this weekend. I I hope especially you've been encouraged by just the the content of the conference as we've talked about suffering and as you've been able to, to think about suffering and God's plan in suffering and God's love in the midst of suffering. I hope that has been encouraging to you. I hope that you've been encouraged just as you think about our responsibility to care for those who are suffering and those who are hurting. I'm so grateful to God, you know, as Tony prayed earlier, I'm grateful to God for our biblical counseling ministry. I'm grateful to God for Pastor Kent. And for those of you who know Kent, it's not a surprise that he would want to do a, a conference on suffering. Uh, he loves God's people, and he feels uh, grief with those who grieve, and so it's, it's not surprising that he would want to uh, focus on this issue of suffering and, and help us think through how to, how to rightly process grief and how to come alongside those who are suffering. And my hope would be that as we think about what we've focused on as, as a church this, this past weekend my, my, and this morning, for those of you who weren't able to be at parts of the conference, my hope would be that, that we emulate that, that we say, okay, we, we recognize our responsibility to care for our brothers and sisters who are hurting. We want to take God's word the resources that God has given us and come alongside those who are suffering, those who are struggling to process the 
the, all the things of life and help them do so in light of God's Word by the work of His Holy Spirit in their lives. We, we want to be able to do that. Now, on, on what basis do we have the authority to speak into people's lives? You say, well, because we share what God has shared, right? And that, that's true. But by what basis does God have the authority to tell people what to do? And what resources does he have as God to help people in their suffering? And there are so many different answers that we could discuss and answer to that question. You say, well, God is the creator. God is all-knowing. God is all-powerful. And all those things are true. What I want us to focus on this morning is, is to think about this idea of who Jesus Christ is and how he reigns at the right hand of his Father with all the resources of God, and he bestows them upon the church. I want us to think about that resource that we have for ourselves and our brothers and sisters who are hurting. I want us to think about that this morning and help us think through how we can live our lives in light of that truth. And to tackle such a huge subject as the ascended Lord and your suffering. I'm going to go big and small this morning. Sometimes it's very helpful when we deal with a big thing to think about it in terms of of its bigness and then to think about it in terms of its smallness. And that can especially be true when we're talking about things like, like suffering and difficulty. For example, if we wanted to, as a church, think about how to care for those who are struggling with depression or for those who are struggling with the idea of of suicide. And we say, okay, we want to to think about this issue of suicide and and have empathy for those who are struggling with with those thoughts. We would go perhaps big and small. I'd say, okay, just as you think about this on a a big scale, we recognize the enormity of the problem of suicide. We would talk about how suicide is the, the second leading cause of death among young people ages 10 through 24. Uh, We would talk about how uh, more young people die from suicide than cancer, heart disease, AIDS, birth defects, stroke, pneumonia, influenza, and chronic lung disease combined. We would talk about how men die from suicide three and a half times more frequently than women. We would talk about how there are in our country an average of 121 suicides a day. We would think big. And as we thought big about this issue of suicide, we'd come to some conclusions, right? We'd recognize that it is very likely that people we love are are struggling with, with thoughts like this. It's very likely that people that we love have been touched by suicide. We'd gain empathy and understanding sense of need to think about this with compassion. And and that would happen as we thought big. We would also think small as we tried to understand this issue. We think small, tiny. For example, instead of talking to you about 121 suicides a day, instead of just mentioning that, I, I could also talk about one day talk about a day 17 days ago on on February the 14th when my friend's 15-year-old son took his life. And I could talk to you 
about my friend's struggle, about the way that this the suicide shook a, a tiny community in Texas. I could talk to you about his wrestling with, with God and trying to hold on to God and his faithfulness. I could talk to you about his church, and I could talk to you about this on a very tiny scale. And as we thought about it on a tiny scale, it would help us empathize and understand this issue as well, right? Sometimes to grasp a big thing, we go big and small. And suffering and God's power in our suffering is a big thing. And so this morning, I want to go big and small. And we'll start off small, and then we'll go big. And as we, we go small, we're going to see some huge things about God. And as we go big, we're going to see some huge things about God apply to us on a tiny level. So I want us to go big and small. And as we go big and small, we're going to see that suffering is terrible, it's tragic, and yet it's temporary. We have a sovereign, ascended Lord who is, who is over all suffering, who appoints it, and who cares for us in the midst of it. So let's, let's start small. Let's talk about a, a, tiny, a tiny story about our suffering with big truths about God. A tiny story, that's the first thing we're going to talk about this morning, a tiny story about our suffering with big truths about God from Luke chapter 7. And the first thing that we see about God in this tiny story is that our compassionate Lord cares about our suffering. Our compassionate Lord cares about our suffering. Look here at the story with me. Hopefully you're there in Luke chapter 7. And here's what happens. It says that Jesus goes to this this town called Nain. And we see here, we're going to see the story of Christ beholding suffering, and we're going to see how he responds with compassion. Now, he enters this town called Nain. It's about six miles southeast of Nazareth. It's about 18 miles from Capernaum. And he comes into this town. He's beginning to enter this, this gate. It would have been kind of a small entrance to this, this little tiny village. And he begins to enter it, and it's, it's Jesus and then his disciples. Then it says there's a, a great crowd with him, right? And they're with him, kind of seeing what Jesus is about to do next. And as he draws near to the gate, there's another group that's coming out of the city of Nain, this little village. And who is that? It says that a man has died. And so what's happening is, as Jesus gets ready to enter into this this village, there's a funeral procession that's coming out. What would have happened in this culture is that after a person died... Immediately after, the beloved family would come and they would close his eyes and they'd prepare the body very quickly. And then usually that same day, perhaps in the evening, they would place the body on a, on a bier, on a, on a funeral plank, and they would, they would carry it. And the head of the family or the family member would be at the front of that procession and they'd begin to walk through the village out to the tombs outside the city and they would hire a mourner or perhaps a couple flute players, and they would begin to play this, this funeral dirge, and they'd, they'd walk out the village, and as, they heard, as people heard this procession going by, other people from the village would, would, would become a part of this group, and they'd together proceed outside of the village. And that's what's happened here. This man has died. He begins to be carried outside of the city, and as the funeral procession comes to the gate, they reach Jesus. Jesus enters, this other group exits. And at at the front of this procession would be this 
mom. Now I want you to think about the smallness of this woman. The universe is a huge place. The universe is a place that is big beyond our ability to comprehend big. The world is an infinitely small part of an infinitely large universe, and, and this woman is an infinitely small part of a, of a much larger world that's, that's infinitely small in terms of a cosmic sense. She is a, a tiny, tiny person. There have been over 100 billion people who have lived in the world. She's just one of them. And not even a, a prominent member. She's not a prominent member of the world. She's not, a, a, she's not from a prominent region of the world. She's part of the Roman Empire, which has some 50 million people at the time. She's part of Palestine, which is like 5% of the Roman Empire at this time. And she's in a, a tiny little town in Palestine, in the Roman Empire, on the world, in the universe. I mean, she is tiny. And not only is she in a, a tiny community, she is an insignificant part of that community in many ways. She's not in a position of power. She doesn't have resources. She's lost her husband. And in this culture, that's a a severe blow to her status and ability to provide for herself. And now she's lost her son, her only son. She's tiny, cosmically speaking, socially speaking. And yet, even though she's, she's tiny, and in a cosmic sense, her suffering is, is tiny, you and I would never have known about this woman and her loss if God hadn't recorded it in his word. It would have kind of fallen into the, the mists of time and, and never been heard of again. Even though her suffering is, is tiny, in a cosmic sense, this event consumes her tiny world. In other words, this this woman in her her smallness has this grief that that is in a cosmic sense small, and yet from her perspective there is no no event in the universe that is not somehow seen in light of this tragedy that, that she's a part of right now. There's no part of the Roman Empire that she would consider and say, okay, I'm thinking about that part, but I'm not also thinking about my grief in that. Her, her tiny grief envelops and consumes her tiny world. And yet, look what happens next. This woman really stands as a representative of human suffering in many ways, right? Of, of your suffering, your hardship, your loss, the problems with relationships. In a cosmic sense, the things that you're going through are small. And sometimes it can feel that you and your suffering are very isolated. You're very alone. You can say, boy, I'm, I'm going through this and, and no one knows about this. I, I, I go through this and I, I go to work and no one's aware of what's going on in my life. And it doesn't even really matter. No one else cares about this suffering that I'm going through. Or I, I'm, I'm in my family and they kind of know what's going on in my life, but they don't really care. No one really seems to, to to be bothered by this severe suffering that I'm going through because my suffering compared to them is so minuscule. Nobody really notices. Nobody's mindful. No one's 
no one's caring about this. Suffering can feel very isolating, right? But it says Jesus, Jesus sees her in verse 13. And as he sees her, it says that he had, he had compassion on her. He's, he's, he has this compassion, and he, the compassion here means to be moved inside of yourself. There's this, there's this sense in which a person who has compassion looks upon someone in need, and it, it, it bothers them. It causes them to, to, to feel the weight of another person's suffering. And as we look at Scripture, there's this amazing thing that we encounter. We encounter this truth that God cares about suffering, he cares about those who are powerless. Psalm 68.5, Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. Psalm 146, verse 9, the Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. And as Jesus sees this woman in her grief, the, the God of the universe says, don't weep. He doesn't want her to be sad. See, this is a, a tiny story. It's small. And yet in this, the smallness of the story, we see something huge about God. Our God is a compassionate God. The Lord Jesus Christ is a compassionate Lord who deeply cares about suffering. He is moved by it. He is moved by your grief and your suffering. It affects him. A few years ago, when we were in the process of, of adopting uh, Ellie, we had to uh, we got we were able to go down and, and visit her at her orphanage, and, and then we had to to leave her there while we finished up the paperwork here in the United States, and there was a a time where we had, we had left her and we hadn't been able to go back and, and get her yet, some six months or so, and so we, there was just this, this time of, of real sorrow for, for Whitney and myself as we, we thought about her being apart from us and, and us being apart from her. And, you know, Whitney kind of made a, a video of, of our trip and we'd kind of watch it as a family. And I've, I've mentioned this before, but, uh, you know, our Austin was, was just a little guy at the time, and maybe three or four years old or whatever, and, and Whitney and I were watching this, this video that she had, she had compiled, and she'd watch every so often, and, and uh, when she, she watched it, sometimes Austin would be in the room with her, and we'd get to that, that part in the video where we had to leave Ellie, and Whitney would look over this little guy, and just tears would be streaming down his face. We didn't even know he was that aware of what was going on, yet as he, as he saw the sorrow and the grief, there was, maybe he didn't understand everything, but there was just this, 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 this emotional response to grief, to sadness. The Lord Jesus Christ is a compassionate Lord who cares about our suffering. It's a tiny story, and yet it reveals this, this huge truth about God. Here, here's a second thing I want us to see from the story. Our sovereign Lord vanquishes our suffering. 
what happens next? It says that he, he, Jesus touches the plank. He touches this beer, this, this funeral, this kind of casket, open casket that this young man is on. And the people recognize his authority somehow. They stand still. And Jesus says to the young man, arise. And the dead man does what he has to do. There's, there's no choice here for him. The Lord Jesus Christ is sovereign. He sits up. He begins to speak. Jesus restores him to his mother. And fear seizes everyone. Why? Because they, they recognize that God is in this. That God's authority is on display here. And the response is one of worship. On what basis can Jesus do this? He can do this because he's Lord. And Jesus is a Lord who has compassion. And, and by the way, if, if, as we think about this being a, a biblical counseling weekend and thinking about coming alongside other people who are, are struggling, one of the things that I, I so appreciated about this last weekend, so, one of the things I appreciate so much about Pastor Kent and his, his leadership of this ministry and all of those of you who are involved in this, is this, I believe, that compassion and, 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 and I, this idea of grace permeates our ministry. In other words, if, if you are not at a place where you see a person in sin or you see a person struggling with the effects of sin in their life or struggling with, with, with anything else, and there's not a sense of compassion on your part, you are in no place. You're in no way prepared to help those who are struggling. Jesus has compassion. His people must as well. But Jesus has something else that you and I don't have. He has authority. And as we, we think about this act that he does, it's, it's, a, it's a tiny act, and it's a temporary act, right? In other words, this young man is, it raises from the dead, Jesus raises him from the dead, and yet, we don't know when, but there's, there's some day in the future in the, the city, the little village of Nain, in which this, this man has a second funeral. <laughs> you can imagine if right there, whenever Jesus raises this young man from the dead. There's a, a little boy in the funeral procession who sees Jesus do that. And then, you know, maybe 20, 40 years later, he goes through an, another funeral procession. He's like, this seems all very familiar. I've seen this guy die before. What Jesus does here is, is just a taste of what he's going to do in the future when he vanquishes all suffering. That is a powerful lesson we learn from a tiny story. Let me read from Ephesians chapter 1. Paul is talking about this, this prayer that he has for the people of Ephesus. And he says, he talks about giving thanks for them. He says, I pray, I pray that your, your eyes of your heart will be enlightened and you may know what is the hope to which he's called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And he says, I want you to know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at, the right hand, at his right hand in the heavenly places. 
far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. This resurrection that takes place in this village of Nain 2,000 years ago is, is a picture of this resurrection that takes place of Jesus Christ and is a, a taste of this resurrection that's going to take place in the future of all of God's people. There's coming a day when... Our sovereign Lord is going to vanquish all suffering. As we look at this tiny story of this woman and her tiny suffering in a cosmic sense, we see two great, huge, big truths about God. He is a compassionate Lord who cares about suffering, and he is a God who is going to vanquish all suffering. Tiny story, and yet this tiny story fits into God's great cosmic plan. It illustrates the power that Paul says, I I want you believers in Ephesus Ephesus to understand that God works, this this is crucial, God works in your life with power. And it's the same power by which he raised his son from the dead. Now, let's talk about a big story about God with some tiny truths about our suffering Turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 1. And I want to read just the first four verses of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And we we saw this, this tiny story, a story about a small, insignificantly, cosmically insignificant woman. And we saw some big truths about God. Now let's look at some big truths about God that contains some tiny truths of application for you and I who are small. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says in in chapter 1, verse 1. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. In other words, it doesn't get any bigger than, than all things. Through whom, this is Jesus, he also he created the world. It, it doesn't get bigger in terms of creation than all of creation. Jesus, verse 3, he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Again, it doesn't get any bigger than this. We're talking about a person who reigns over all things, who created all things, and who now holds the entirety of the universe together by the word of his power. The the story doesn't get bigger than this. Look at what it says next. It says that after making purification for sins, and as you go through the book of Hebrews, he's going to talk about how Jesus did this and how he was the complete and total sacrifice. It says, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. The big story that we see is this. God himself came as a man. He redeemed humanity, and now he rules the universe. Some of the things I want to share with you this morning are from a a PowerPoint Pastor Kent sent me. It's by a, a man named Robert Jones. He's an associate professor of biblical counseling at Southern Seminary in Louisville, and he, uh, he had a message at 
a conference, the ACBC conference last year, entitled Counseling and the Ascension of Christ. Counseling and the Ascension of Christ. And so if you want to hear someone unpack some of these truths at a much deeper level, I encourage you to check that out. But here's what I want us to see. This is a big story about God with tiny truths about our, our suffering. And, and the first truth that I want you to see is that Jesus Christ reigns over the universe from the right hand of God while he governs and provides for the church. Jesus Christ reigns over the universe from the right hand of God while he governs and provides for the church. Let me just give you a couple of verses that talk about where Jesus is now and what he's doing. Luke 24 tells us that after Jesus had blessed his disciples, he, he parted from them. He was carried up into heaven. Colossians 3.1 says that Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Hebrews chapter 12 says that, that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the throne of, of God. He's the founder and the perfecter of our faith. 1 Peter 3.22 says that, that Jesus has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. And so where is Jesus right now? This Lord, remember what, what are the big truths we've learned about Jesus? That he is compassionate towards those who are suffering and that he is going to vanquish all suffering? Where is this, this Lord right now? He's at the right hand of God the Father. And what is he doing? Is he just kind of up there bored, you know? Kind of, okay, well, I guess I'll just kind of hang around here until everybody else gets here, until my friends show up, you know. Jesus, you know, is that what Jesus is doing? No. Listen to what Scripture says that he's doing. It says that, that he's, he's the head of the body, he's the head of the church right now. He's, he, he's holding the universe together by, by, his, by, the word of his, by the power of his word right now. The name that is above every name has been bestowed to him, Philippians 2.9 says, right now. It says in Colossians chapter 1, By him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he, he is right now before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body. He's the head of the church. He's the beginning. He's the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. There is no story that is bigger than, than Jesus World War II, 9-11, the story of the history of the Roman Empire, all these, these things pale in comparison to the story of the creator of the universe coming and dying for us and being raised to reign at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And so the first thing that we think about here, Jesus reigns over the universe from the right hand of, of God, while he, he governs and provides for the church. Now, what does it mean that he governs? What does it mean that he governs? This is a huge truth, right? This is a, a big truth. What, what tiny application? I don't mean to minimize your suffering, but in the sense of, of you and I being small parts of the universe, what tiny application does it have that the God of the universe is, is governing and providing for his church? What, what it means is this. Every event that comes into our life. It comes into our life because God has appointed it. The 
psalmist says that in God's book, every day was, was written, when as yet there were none of them for us. Job says that man's days are determined, the number of his months is, is, is with God, and, and God has appointed his bounds that he cannot pass. In Acts 17.28, we read about God's providential care, and, and, and Paul says, in him we, we live and, and move. God is, is sovereign over all things. A writer of Proverbs says, a man's steps are ordered by the Lord. Uh, a man's mind plans his way, but the Lord directs his step in Proverbs 16.9. And what that means, when, it says, when we say that he governs the church, He's sovereign over every aspect of, his, of our lives. That includes the bad things. If I find myself in a situation where bad things are happening to me, that is not because this bad thing slipped through the, the, the fingers of the sovereign Lord of the universe, but it's because the sovereign Lord of the universe who is compassionate to me in my suffering and who's going to someday vanquish all suffering, if I find myself suffering, it's because the sovereign Lord of the universe has appointed this for me. Paul would say in Philippians 1.29, it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake. But not only does the sovereign Lord of the universe govern what happens to us, he, he provides for us. I don't know what you're going through this morning, but I know that God is providing for you in the midst of it. He's providing for you in the midst of it because he has set his son at his right hand who holds all things in his hand. Think about a couple of things that God has provided for the church. He's provided for you as you suffer. He's provided his Holy Spirit, right? He's provided his Holy Spirit for the church. He says in John 14, 12, something amazing. He says, whoever believes in me will also do the works I do, and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. So this, this compassionate Lord, he's going to vanquish all suffering, goes to heaven, and he reigns, and he's doing this so that you and I can do greater things than he does. In other words, in terms of the, the power that he gives us, we have the opportunity to enact eternal differences in, in people's lives through the work of the Holy Spirit because Jesus is a risen, ascended Lord. He says few verses later in John 14, 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you. He will be in you. In Acts 2.33, Peter says, Jesus was exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Jesus gives the church the Holy Spirit to, to guide us as we learn truth and try to, to comprehend reality. And so in the midst of our suffering, sometimes you know, there's that, that ride at, at Six Flags that I used to, I used to love. You would, you would get in it, and it was that, that ride where it was like a big barrel. And it would just kind of spin. You'd get up against the wall, and it would just spin 
spin you around over and over and over again. The floor would drop, and you'd be up against the wall, and it'd be like this, this long, hot day at Six Flags, and you'd be in this, this, this room that was spinning around and around and around and around, and, and you'd get off the ride, and not everybody would make it, right? Some people after you know, dehydration, and I remember taking a kid on that ride and spending the next few hours in, like, the medical tent. You know, he couldn't see up from down, right? Tragedy can be like a big spinning barrel in our lives, right? You kind of, you're in the midst of this, this trial and, and up seems down and right seems left. And you, I, don't know, I don't know how to process this. My, my world is, is caving in around me. I, I, I've lost this, this loved one or I've, I've been given this diagnosis or I'm in this financial situation and just everything seems up in the air and I, I can't handle it, I can't process it. And, and what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit helps us see reality. He helps us go to his word and say, okay, this is how to process this. This is how to think about this. God, Jesus Christ, governs his church. He provides for the church. He provides for the church the Holy Spirit. He provides not just the Holy Spirit, but, but spiritual gifts. He provides spiritual gifts. In Ephesians chapter 4, listen to what it says about Jesus ascending to heaven. It says, when he ascended on high, this is Jesus resurrecting, going to be with, with God, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In other words, part of of Christ's resurrection, ascension, was was a bestowing upon, this was a a thing a a victor would do. The victor gives out the spoils to those who are are part of the victory and the the church is part of this victory that Christ has achieved as we're in him and he he gives us gifts. He gives us these spiritual gifts. Paul goes on, he says, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And then he gives this example of of a mature body. He says, we're not going to be like children who are kind of cast in the sea and kind of the waves go one way and the little children go, oh, I can't help it. And it kind of goes with the waves and then the wave goes another direction and the child goes, oh, I'm just a tiny child in the water. I can't help it. No, we become mature. We become grounded. We become secure. Again, as I think about our biblical counseling ministry, our biblical counseling ministry is really just a, a means to accomplish what, what God says his church is to be doing. God says that his church is to be full of people using their spiritual gifts to strengthen each other. Our church is to be a church full of people who are coming to the Lord Jesus Christ, the ascended Lord, placing their faith and trust in him, and then he is giving them them spiritual gifts, and you and I are to be using those gifts given to us by a sovereign God to help one another. To encourage one another. He gives us security in our eternal destiny. John 14, Jesus says, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to, I, I would, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. You see how this big story helps me in my, my, my tiny suffering? And again, as I use the word tiny, I'm not trying to minimize the pain that's engulfing your world, but 
See how a great sovereign God is mindful of our suffering and provides us with the resources that we need. In other words, as I think about the greatness of God and my smallness, it's, it's not a thing that causes me to be discouraged, but it's a thing that causes me to be encouraged as I think about the vastness of his resources. Here's the second thing that I want to encourage you with. Jesus Christ reigns over the universe from the right hand of God while he intercedes and advocates for his church. In the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your, your sorrow, whether that sorrow and the, be the, the fruit of bad decisions that you've made or the, the fruit of bad things that other people have done to you, the amazing thing is, is that right now, that cosmically small thing that you're going through has been brought to the attention of the God of the universe, the triune God of the universe. And, and God the Son stands before God the Father advocating for you. Now, you might say, well, is, does that mean like God the Father wants to get me? And God the Son's like, oh, no, 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 Dad, Dad, let me, let me explain it to you. Here's, here's the deal. And God the Father goes, okay, fine. No, that's, that's not a right understanding of God. God is, is completely unified in his purpose. And what it means to, to have an advocate before God the Father is, is God the Father is both just and loving, and, and so he's, he's going to, to punish sin, and yet he loves us. And what, what Jesus Christ does is this, and, and, and this is an amazing thing as we think about, you, you know how important it is to have a person of influence in, in the right place advocating for you. You know, you've, some of you have tried to get jobs before, and you've had just the right person of influence there in that position that you're trying to get hired in that can, can help you. What we have right now is a God who loves us but is also just. And what Jesus does on our behalf in every circumstances in which we find ourselves is he, he sees us and he comes before God the Father at his right hand. He says, okay, look at me. As you look at, at Daniel Bennett and you see his sin, look at me, Father, and, and see my righteousness. And every good and perfect thing that Jesus Christ did in his life, in his, in his life, in his living, in his sacrifice, in his death, everything that Jesus did now gets credited to me. And the triune God who is unified in, in his purpose looks upon me with love and forgives and provides. What an amazing truth. Now, little children, John would write in 1 John chapter 2, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the, the, the propitiation, the complete satisfaction for our sins, and not for ours only, but also also for the sins of the whole world. You see how we've gone small and big? Suffering is terrible. It's, it's tragic. And yet it's also temporary. As we think about this on, on a small scale, we look at our, our, our small suffering, we see that there's a God who is, who is mindful of it. 
Other people may not notice what you're going through, but the good news is the, the God of the entire universe is, is intimately aware with your suffering. He is even more intimately aware of your suffering than you are. And not only is he aware, but he is compassionate toward you in that suffering. And he is going to someday vanquish all suffering. That helps us as we think small, these big truths about this God that we worship. But then as we think about the God that we worship, we recognize that not only is he aware of my my tiny problems, but as we think about his bigness, we recognize that he has the power and the authority to deal completely with suffering. And to give me the resources that I need both in this moment and into eternity. Won't you cling to Jesus with me this morning? Our sinned Lord who helps us in our suffering. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son Jesus, our great God and, and Savior. We place our faith and our confidence in him alone this morning for our salvation both now and forevermore. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.